Hello and welcome. My name is Amy Maxwell, Managing Editor of CityWire Engage. And joining me today on this podcast is Hugh Sargent, who is Manager of the UK Recovery Fund at River and Mercantile. We're here to discuss with Hugh the attractions of the UK market and how he goes about selecting stocks for his fund. So Hugh, to begin, could you tell me about your role at River and Mercantile? Well, thanks, uh, Amy. So, um, Hugh Sargent, I'm, I'm the head of value and recovery at uh, at River and Mercantile. As actually one of the original founding partners uh, back in in 2006, and and responsible uh, with the other founding partners for putting in place our philosophy, PVT, potential valuation, and and timing, and also our systematic quants-led uh, process, which we, we call uh, Money Penny. Day to day, I'm responsible for managing the, the value and recovery strategies, in, in particular, the UK uh, recovery, which I think is going to be the focus today, which uh, I launched uh, back in uh, late 2008 as, as we were going through the global financial crisis and I was hoping we were going to come out of it um, and there were certainly lots of uh, fantastic recovery opportunities at, at that point. Um, my investment DNA since I started at UBS has always been about value, buying stocks uh, cheaply and I think that's going to um, be the focus of our, of our conversation today. Okay, let's get into the details. How exactly do you define value and recovery investing, especially in the current environment? Um, well, I, th- I, mean, I think the, the first observation to, to make is that uh, value investing, buying companies on, on modest valuations works. Um, all the very long-term data confirms that the, the value factor is a, is a source of uh, alpha. That's despite its uh, recent struggles. Um, in, in terms of what actual value investing means, it has more than one definition, but, but at its uh, simplest, it means buying an investment when it's attractively priced in absolute terms and relative to its history. Investments are typically valued off their earnings and, and associated cash generation capacity and also off their invested capital base. And value investors simply want a really wide gap between what they think a business is, is worth, its uh, in, intrinsic value, and the price that they're able to, to pay to buy those shares at today. This is the margin of safety we require for the fact that we cannot know for sure what the future holds. Now, a traditional value portfolio, such as the recovery funds uh, that I manage, will in aggregate look cheap in absolute terms and, and versus their benchmarks. So for example, UK recovery trades on only 1.2 times uh, price to book and has a double digit normalized earnings uh, yield and also really attractive cash flow multiple. Now it's also important to mention that in the context that so I talked about uh, PVT in terms of, uh, in terms of the in- introduction, uh, our investment philosophy is, is not just about, about narrow value, it's also about potential and timing either side of looking for attractively valued companies. So we complement value uh, with uh, potential. So that's looking for companies that we're confident can grow their profits and cash flow, and also uh, timing indicators, um, fundamental indicators such as maybe a, a change of 
management team or, or existing management team becoming more focused on shareholder value and also quantitative indicators such as share price technicals so the shares uh, starting to, to strengthen and earnings revisions are, are they are they positive so so it's not just narrow values potential valuation and and, and timing then just very quickly in terms of uh, recovery because recovery is I suppose a subset of um, a subset of, of value. Um, uh, just briefly, I mean, we we define recovery shares as as those that have a uh, a strong business franchise. So they're companies that have made attractive return on on capital historically, uh, but we become attracted to them when profits uh, are depressed, and that will equal a depressed share price. Uh, but when there's clear evidence of um, profit recovery uh, coming through to, to a more normal level. Now, the profits of recovery share are, are normally depressed either due to economic or sector dislocation or, or perhaps poor management uh, decisions historically or, or a combination of both. Now, it's that depressed level of profits that creates a very significant value gap. And we would actually on average look for 100% uh, 100% value value gap. Other investors will be focused on the depressed short-term profitability rather than what a company can achieve in terms of recovering its profits over over the me, me, medium term. So, a very significant value gap is what we're looking for in in recovery stocks. Now, it's no secret that value investing has struggled over the last decade. What would you put this down to? Um, I mean, there's a number of reasons uh, for, for that. I mean, I might just focus on uh, on four uh, four reasons. Um, first of all, it's been the, the economic background has really been quite, as we all know, quite muted since the global financial crisis, and we've had a few, uh, I suppose, aftershocks since the uh, since the GF, GFC or a number of. Uh, disruptions to, to economic growth. So you think of the European sovereign debt crisis, uh, the Trump trade wars, and, and clearly very recently and, and very uh, significantly uh, the impact of the COVID pandemic. Now, all these have caused investors to, to fret about economic growth uh, prospects and to focus on companies they feel can grow, whatever the level of, of economic growth. So that's the first uh, first uh, reason for, for value struggling since the GFC. The second has been interest rates and, and bond yields for, for a number of reasons, global financial uh, crisis impact on banks, modest economic growth, central bank policy, interest rates and, bond, and government bond yields have continued to trend lower since the global financial cr crisis and, and deflationary pressures have dominated. This has been an environment that has favoured longer duration uh, equities, typically growth or, or quality type equities um, and, and not favoured shorter duration value type stocks. The third uh, contributor has been uh, disruption, as we're all very uh, well aware, the growth of the digital economy has clearly created many new businesses that have been able to grow uh, rapidly for, for, for uh, a number of years, and they've disrupted, in that process of growth, have disrupted large parts of of the global economy, an obvious example being being e-commerce, e uh, taking over from bricks and mortars retailers. And, and the last aspect in terms of value struggling has actually been just the valuation of, of value. So value has a cycle um, and actually going into the global financial crisis, value stocks were actually quite richly rated uh, for a number of reasons, in particular because banks were very keen to lend against companies which had traditional asset 
uh, asset backing and that pushed up their share prices quite significantly. So value was quite expensive going into the GFC. We're at the opposite end of that spectrum uh, today with uh, the value cycle having been very difficult and value stocks having having been derated. So those are the kind of four key reasons for, for value struggling. Now, going forward, uh, we think actually a lot of those factors are going to be much more positive for, for value versus uh, growth and quality type uh, type 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 stocks. Uh, we do think economies will um, uh, show more consistent growth, more reflationary growth. We think interest rates are bottomed out from very low levels and are, are trending upwards. We think Clearly, digital disruption will, will continue. We think there'll be a broader set of, of beneficiaries than there have been over the last 10 years. And then the value gap, which has become particularly extreme, uh, we think that the value gap uh, will narrow. The cycle will be much more supportive for, for value from here. OK, so lots of positive things there to look forward to. In terms of the specifics of the strategy, how has the fund managed against these value headwinds? Um, well, you know, clearly, uh, like, you know, all value managers, we've had some difficult periods over the last uh, 10 years uh, due to that, you know, anti-value nature um, um, of, of, of the market. Um, and um, clearly the beginning of 2020, as, as COVID spread and risk aversion ramped up, was a very testing time for, for everyone, in particular for value managers. Uh, that said, and I suppose most importantly, and, and uh, maybe this goes back to having a relatively long career, having been uh, investing for almost 30 years, you know, we stuck to our, our core approach, uh, value, recovery stocks, multi-cap investing and, and buying went out of favour. Um, and this sticking to our core approach really stood us in, in good stead um when the market was uh, really panicking uh, a year ago and our performance since then has you know been very robust um recovered very strongly from those uh, low points over the long term uk recovery has outperformed its uh, benchmark by quite a significant margin over five percent uh, per annum despite the value headwind so that's good and that's after fees and perhaps more importantly it's compounded out at a, a double digit uh, rate so it has been a, a source of uh, wealth creation for for the holders and that's our key objective in terms of running the uk recovery strategy is medium to long-term compounding wealth creation what opportunities do you see in the market today i know you've expressed that there's certainly reasons to be positive so where do you see the pockets of positivity and how do you intend on capturing those um, yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I and mean, we do think there are very significant opportunities for, for our approach, for our, our factors. Um, we actually think we're close to a peak opportunity set for, for, for UK value and recovery and, and positive about UK equities in, in general. Um, not only are we coming out of a, a deep uh, anti-value cycle, which I've described already, we're also emerging from a, a deep economic and, and profits uh, recession. This is about as good a time background to apply our approach as, as any. Um, our value exposure will benefit from the beginning of a more positive cycle and our recovery exposure should benefit from economic and, and profit recovery. So particularly geared to, to those. And, and then we are bullish on the economic outlook once, once we are through what will hopefully be the, uh, you know, our current uh, lockdown, hopefully the last lockdown. 
uh, in the UK and around the world, fiscal and monetary stimulus is, is immense. It's actually bigger than it was, significantly bigger than it was during the global financial crisis. Money supply is growing robustly. Consumer spending, we think, is a kind of a cold spring, uh, waiting to spring back once the world is, is, is more normal. The world's governments are, are committed to aggressively investing in, in sustainability, in the green agenda, and also uh, committed to trying to ensure that this economic recovery is, is more widely spread, uh, more uh, equally spread. Uh, amongst the population than coming out of the, the global financial crisis. So all this is supportive of global growth and, and reflation, which should benefit value, should benefit recovery, should benefit multi-cap uh, investing. Um, so we do think the opportunity set is, is significant. Okay, so we heard about the UK opportunities. How do they compare on a global basis? Um, yeah, I mean, we think many of the dynamics are, you know, same around the globe. Um, uh, the world is, is closely correlated from an economic and financial markets uh, perspective. Um, though actually, because the UK is, is that much more dependent on, on the service sector, we've had a more difficult uh, economic downturn associated with uh, working from home, social distancing, um, the, the pandemic. But, but actually coming out of it, our, our rebound should be that much more significant because partly because of that dependence on the, on the service sector, specifically areas like, like leisure, which are a big part of the economy. And they've been particularly hard hit by um, the social distancing uh, re required. Um, so the recovery should be um, you know, very strong, very robust in, in the UK. And then of course we have um, the removal of Brexit un un uncertainty, which I think will allow a greater degree of confidence and, and more investment in the UK economy going forward. So would you go as far to say that animal spirits were on the horizon in the UK? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, um, I, I, I think that's I think that's certainly possible. Um, I, you know, every, everyone in the UK and outside the UK has, has been quite, I suppose, down <laughs> on, on us, I suppose, since the Brexit uh, referendum. Um, you know, associated lack of confidence and uncertainty has has impacted on economic growth and uh, and investment. So with Brexit now now behind us, and hopefully soon the the pandemic, as as you know, we efficiently roll out the, the vaccines, some certainty and, and confidence can return. Uh, we can start feeling a little bit better about life and and the prospects uh, for the UK economy. Uh, our, our animal spirits, I think, I would agree, can can return. Not not quite a roaring. Uh, 20s, but uh, it's probably better to start looking at the post-Brexit world as one where the glass is, you know, at least half full with the potential for, for UK economic growth likely to be better than the current cautious consensus assumes. And I think that's the critical thing, you know, consensus in terms of uh, the economic outlook for the UK over the next year, over the next three to five years is really quite, uh, quite, uh, quite modest. And it's certainly not impossible to see uh, policies put in place um, and animal spirits are returning that will uh, allow the UK economy to beat those very modest uh, and quite downbeat expectations. How then is this reflected in the characteristics of your portfolio? What sort of companies are you investing in to capture this? Yeah, I mean, obviously, um, you know, the portfolio is, you know, committed value recovery, multi-cap. 
uh, and buying companies when they're out of favor. I mean, that's um, how we've described uh, the fund since inception. That's how I've run money for you know 25 years. I think that's very clearly uh, reflected in, in the portfolio today. So if you looked at Style Skylines, for example, that would definitely be confirmed. Um, simple uh, characteristics, uh, very attractive uh, value in the price to book is only 1.2 times. And on a look forward basis, our earnings yield is uh, close to, to, to double digit and we've got a high free cash flow, uh, free cash flow yield. Maybe just going into a little bit more granularity in terms of um, certain aspects of the portfolio, um, and I'll kind of just uh, outline a couple of a couple of stocks with reference to some key aspects of the portfolio. I mean, first would be uh, what I describe as you know the traditional value part of the portfolio, so deeper value, um, um, uh, low traditional valuation metrics. Here we particularly like the, the higher interest rate beneficiaries as, as great hedges on, um, on, on low interest rates that we see at the moment, very low interest rates we see at the moment, bottoming out and, and trending, uh, trending positively. So the world has continued into very recently to kind of bet on a deflationary world uh, being ongoing. We're starting to see a broader discussion of, of that and certainly markets are starting to get little bit uh, fearful of, of reflation. We do think reflation is going to be here and interest rates are going to trend positively. And you can hedge those uh, well within a portfolio context by having decent exposure to interest rate uh, increased beneficiaries. And that would be particularly the case for banks. So something like a Lloyd's uh, where the valuation remains uh, depressed, 0.6 of book value, um, uh, where we actually think the fundamentals are going to be improving over the next uh, two to three years. The credit cycle has been relatively benign for them um, uh, versus what expectations might have been a, a year ago. They've been generating free capital. They're soon going to be in a position to pay quite a substantial amount of that back to, to shareholders. And then the margins that the business operates in have been compressed by very low interest rates and those margins should, should improve uh, from here. So that's one um, uh, part of the portfolio. Second part would be you know, the classic recovery stocks. This is a recovery strategy. So we're looking for recovery, uh, recovery type stocks of which there clearly uh, are lots, uh, lots in the moment, uh, you know, good example. Uh, would be it would be Whitbread, um, uh, which maybe should have changed its uh, name by now, because essentially, you know, Premier Inn's uh, budget hotel operator with very strong market position in uh, in the UK, and actually building a presence in, in Germany, which will act as a, a growth engine for for them. Obviously, hotels have been a difficult place to be over the last uh, last year. Um, uh, clearly, social distancing hasn't uh, hasn't been easy for the hotel. Uh, industry, so occupancy uh, depressed, profitability depressed. Uh, but as we get more confidence in terms of the economy opening up, hotel bookings will, will go up and their profitability will start to, to recover. And meanwhile, the share price is classically depressed because people are focused on short-term depressed uh, profitability. So that equals an opportunity. Another classic recovery start would be Playtech, which operates in, 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 in the gaming market and provides uh, infrastructure. One of the leading technology infrastructure providers for for that industry globally it's had a difficult last couple of years share price is quite depressed but but the uh, timing is coming through so starting to beat expectations and they've got a pretty long runway for for growth from here so it combines recovery with attractive medium-term growth potential 
um, last but not least in recovery um, would, be, would be Aston Martin, where we think the current uh, management team are, are well positioned to transform the, the fortunes of, of what is an I- iconic brand. And, and then the final part of the portfolio, which I kind of like to talk about, is just the UK d- the d- domestics, um, uh, which have been uh, laggards uh, over the last, last few years post uh, post uh, Brexit referendum and, and then with uh, with the pandemic, um, uh, but we're looking for you know strong domestic franchises uh, which which are out of favour, but where we're very uh, comfortable that the future is is strong. Good example of that would be Capital and Counties, the the real estate uh, company owns uh, much of Covent Garden. Uh, which we think is, you know, real estate, which is uh, a fantastic location in a still fantastic city, which will be very vibrant. Uh, hopefully, in a year's uh, in a year's uh, time, and it's trading at a big discount to it to its assets. And then um, a final example would be, say, Restaurant Group, um, owner of a, a number of high street restaurant bands, including Wagamama. Good franchise, good long term growth prospects. Less competition on the high street now because, unfortunately, one of the impacts of um, of, of um, social distancing, working from home, has been some of the independents have struggled in this period. So, less competition and restaurant uh, groups should be well positioned to, to recover and, and grow over the over the medium term. How has currency played into your positioning? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, um, sterling has kind of uh, come and gone over the last uh, last few few years. Uh, clearly, um, sterling was uh, very weak post the post the ref- referendum, and that kind of favoured um, the big dollar earners, um, the defensives, I suppose, consumer staple uh, companies, uh, big multinational corporations, uh, in, in in particular, um, but. Um, uh, sterling, I suppose, has changed direction over the last uh, six months, particularly over uh, over the last uh, last few months, uh, as more confidence emerged in terms of uh, a Brexit deal, and then obviously more recently, has Brexit has been confirmed, and that could be um, uh, something in the rear view mirror rather than something that that everyone had to worry worry about. The result of that, Sterling's been quite strong recently. Actually, the, that strength of Sterling has, has benefited the portfolio because we've been pretty underweight, uh, pretty underweight, um, those very big US dollar earners, underweight um, uh, staples companies and, and um, the, the larger growth stocks, which typically um, uh, you know earn their revenue in, in dollars. So been quite underweight um, dollar exposures. We've actually benefited from, from Sterling sterling strength i mean obviously sterling has been quite strong so not quite sure exactly where it goes from here at 140 versus versus the dollar probably relatively balanced esg has been a big trend for the market how is this reflected in your portfolio well we now have uh, esg fully integrated in into the the portfolios into the 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 research uh, side of things and also monitoring of 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 portfolios for many years uh, we've incorporated the uh, MSCI ESG rating of stocks into into our analysis and also into our monitoring, but but last year we rolled out our own um, uh, approach to uh, um, ESG and we call it sustainable PVT. So it's we got a double lens PVT and and sustainable PVT through which to 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 look at our our, our stocks. And the sustainable PVT focuses on 
what we see is the three key pillars of people, innovation and, and environment. Um, alongside introducing sustainable PVT, we introduced our own ranking uh, system, S1 to S4, S1 the best, S4 um, uh, you'd be seeing, wanting to see significant improvements before allocating any capital to those stocks. Now this is fully incorporated into our, our company uh, research. And then uh, alongside that, we're actively looking for companies that that benefit the UK and the world from a sustainability perspective. That said, you know, of course, the portfolio itself, recovery value portfolio, it's not necessarily going to be perfect from an ESG perspective. I don't think any value in recovery portfolio is. Our hunting ground is, is quite different from, say, specialist ESG portfolios. We, we'd be looking as much as as improvers for for improvers on the SPVT front as as necessarily looking for the best in in, in class. Um, that said, we, you know we're always uh, considering um, the, the key sustainability issues. Have you seen the number of companies within the ESG space, those improvers that you spoke about, have you seen them growing recently? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I think, you know, the direction of travel across the world, across the investment industry, um, uh, across, you know, boardrooms in the UK and around the world have definitely uh, recognised, um, you know, the sustainability uh, issues. Um, there's there's a lot of detail for boards to to, to work through, um, and and you know some boards are better positioned than, than others in terms of size. It's going to be easier for a very large cap company versus a micro cap uh, company, and you need to take that into account. But yeah, definitely, you know, directional travel is, is very very clear, um, and and UK businesses in particular are. Uh, you know, very much incorporating uh, sustainability. And what we need is um, some more clear, clearer data, I suppose, produced by by companies and consistent uh, consistent data. Because so I think even you know even the big providers of of research into this area recognise that there is there's still a lack of um, cons consistent data to help in terms of the monitoring monitoring of, of um, progress in terms of sustainability. Now to wrap up, there's very few deep value managers left. Why do you think this is? Yeah, I mean, um, it's, it's, it's a shame. I mean, it's been a very difficult, um, you know, um, cycle, I suppose, for, for value. I, I think the, the difference this time round in terms of uh, value has just been how, how long it's extended over. So we've had, you know, in my career, a, a number of anti-value cycles, but typically they've lasted two to three years maximum. Even going into the, you know, the TMT bubble, which was pretty extreme, actually value only underperformed for, as I said, two to three years uh, uh, max. You know, this time around, it's been uh, been ten years. As a result of um, that, it's been, um, uh, uh, I suppose, a difficult environment for lots of uh, value managers and, and a number of, you know, my respected uh, colleagues within value value management have, you know, decided actually. Uh, things were a little bit too 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 tricky, too onerous, and and you know decided to to to, to retire. Um, uh, it's, it's fair to say, you know, the beginning of last last year, this time last year, I was uh, particularly, I suppose, uh, st stress. You're wondering, you know, we actually thought value was going to do really well through uh, 2020, and then then suddenly you get this uh, very external event, which not many people had predicted. 
um, and uh, life looked very tough again for value managers. So one was uh, thinking, reflecting on things at the moment, but luckily we've got a very clear philosophy process and, and you know, great, a great, a great team uh, at, uh, at Ramam within the PVT team. Um, so we kind of stuck, stuck to approach, um, uh, continued buying really attractively valued stocks. Uh, and luckily that's, you know, uh, come through not, not, not luck. I mean, it's part of a philosophy and process and, and intellectual commitment, uh, from, from the team and my, myself to this approach. So, um, uh, and I think the good thing is, you know, the value cycle has, has, has bottomed out. There's probably a little bit less competition for, <laughs> in terms of value space for those that still uh, operate in 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 that uh, in that space. So I think we can look forward to much stronger returns from value from here. And I think more allocation of capital from uh, you know other investors into you know part of the market that still makes a huge amount of sense, which is you know buying you know attractive franchises on on attractive valuations. Thanks very much for your time today, Hugh. It's been great speaking to you. Thanks very much.